It was very 80s. Look at the traps, though. What are these called? What are these muscles called on, on you? The straps. traps. Look at, the, look, at the tra look at the traps on this young man. Ooh. Ni 1987. Hold up. That's you? That's me. Ooh. There it is. There you go. I, I guess I didn't I guess I didn't eat back then. Cause that looks like a completely different uh <laughs> I mean I'm obviously older, but So what else you guys doing while you're in town? This is pretty much it. After this, I gotta head back to the lady. We went to the game that was sick. But I have a good dinner tonight. Where are you going? Uh any recommendations? What are you in the mood for? Emily wants a steak. Want a steak? Yep. Yeah. Like for something Kings. that's like very New York, I, I was gonna say Old Homestead okay. on Ninth Avenue, Keens, which is right around here. We saw Keens. Right 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 We're sitting on West Thirty Seven. Yo, so literally right Keens there. is yeah, like Keens. old school New York. Mm -hmm. Like Teddy Roosevelt used to eat there when oh, he was the chief. Of literally, police. I think it's from the eighteen hundreds. It's one of the oldest steakhouses in the city. But Old Homestead oh, really? is older. Where is Old Homestead? Downtown, far west side, Ninth yeah. Avenue. That's what I'm saying. It's it's real New York shit. Bobby Vance. Yeah. Uh, there's like three of them, but yeah. there's one right right over here on Park Avenue. Yeah, but Keens is you. You will, you will be into it. It seems small too, like a little boutique spot. It's two. It's two floors. Oh, okay, there's so a big dining room. Okay, okay. The other one, maybe for history's sake, but probably not the best food. Sparks, where uh, I like Sparks. You where like Sparks? John Gotti whacked uh, no? Castellano. Really? Yeah, that's right. that's on uh, that's in the East Forties. Okay, so, or East Fifties. Did you listen to Sam of the Bull yet? Yeah. I completed the the entire podcast. Did you? What yeah. podcast is it? It's called Our Thing. Oh, okay. The guy that. that was John Gotti's right hand man. Mm -hmm. his, hit, his hitman. His hitman. Like mm -hmm. his tells the story. Tells stories. It's so fucking insane. Is it the story about when they whacked the guy? He, he's telling stories about literally committing murders. <laughs> Where is this guy? He's walking he's, around on the street. No, he was yeah. a, well. He's out now. He was a Jeff. Okay, okay. But did you hear the Johnny Keys story? Yeah. Was yeah. that insane? All of this because they also had the FBI guys come on. Who are now retired? Yeah, like the FBI guys come and tell their side of it. I I don't know. I thought I thought it was like the best thing I've ever heard. Is it just our story and what our, thing. Thing. Our, our thing? Our thing. Just crushed that on the plane yeah. ride home. Yeah, that's what I'm like. <laughs> oh my god, growth stocks are getting killed again. Today was another Shopify's down eight percent. Today was another disgusting. Gave back. Did the Nasdaq close on the low? We're actually going to start with that. So, all right, how are we doing? Are we rolling. Oof. Here we go. Oof, oof, oof. Coming in with three clicks. And rate, rates are coming down too. So how do you explain that? It's it's not about rates anymore. It's about margin, it's about margin calls. You better friends. be ready with my music before he clicks that thing. I'm telling you right now. Dylan, coffee. <laughs> Twenty nine. Welcome to the Compound and Friends. All opinions expressed by me. Michael Batnick and our castmates are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Fundrise. Fundrise makes high-end private market real estate investing effortless and accessible to everyone. Thanks to Fundrise, anyone can invest accredited or not accredited, and you can manage your investments from your phone. Fundrise is the latest example of how technology can harness the power of large populations to disrupt institutions. With more than 1 million users and over $7 billion worth of assets transacted on, 
Fundrise is already the largest direct-to-investor real estate investor platform, and they're giving individuals the potential upside of an asset class that was mainly reserved for institutions and high net worth individuals for decades. If you want to learn more, go to fundrise.com slash compound. Again, that's fundrise.com slash compound. Here we go. The guys came in from California for this. Yes. The guys came in from came in from Fresno. All right, where'd you flying from? Well, Sacramento. What's that? Sacramento. Sacramento. The only place with the worst franchise in hours. Oh man. True. How many how many flights period are there out of Fresno? It's not direct, right? No, I had to go in a, we flew into uh where'd I go? Phoenix. Okay. From Phoenix to here. Oof. All right, not so bad. No, not yeah. bad at all. I mean it actually broke the run broke it up a little bit. It was nice. Get a little layover in Phoenix. Okay, not much to do in that airport. Nothing at all. Yeah, okay. no, no, no. I've, been stranded, all. I've been stranded in that airport. I speak from experience. All right, so uh, NASDAQ stocks are getting destroyed, but f- the first thing we should get into, I think uh, I think this week looks like we're going to close below the 200-day in the NASDAQ for the first time since April of 2020. Am I lying? I don't about know. About that? Hey, heads up. I don't have my screen right now. Why don't you do an introduction? <laughs> introduction. All right. So we're going to get into all that stuff, but I, I'm very excited that you guys came in, uh, and I want to introduce you for the audience. Uh, first things first, my friend Desarte Yarnway is here, yep. and Desarte is the founder of the Burknell Financial Group. And how long how long has Burknell been around now? Uh, started 2016. 2016. 2016. How's it going? It's going really well. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm reading about you. Know, I feel like on a weekly basis. You got, Man. A lot, you got a lot of press. I appreciate you. Okay. And Emlyn, you and I met for the first time uh, yes. today. Yeah. Very nice to meet you. Nice to meet you uh, as well. Emlyn Mattingly is with Gen Next, and you are the founder? Yes, okay. I am. When did you start the firm? 2017. Okay. Very cool. So all of us are founders here. Uh, all of us are RAA founders. <laughs> uh, learn a lot on, on the job as a founder. What's been the most rewarding part of having your own firm versus working somewhere else? Making all the decisions. Okay. Yeah. You know, being able to make the decisions I think are necessary to help the clients the way that I feel they need to be helped. Okay. Have you had it the other way around? Oh, you yeah. were watching somebody else <laughs> oh, yeah. make the decisions? Oh, yeah. Okay. No hesitation. No. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Years. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. Where, were you, where were you before you started the firm? So I was at Principal. So okay. I worked at Principal Financial for, I was there for five years. And then before that, I was at EJ. And then before that, I was in banking. So okay. um, always been told how to do, what to do, when to do it. That's enough. I know that I I had ten years of that and I was done. Mm-hmm. I was actually done after the first year, but <laughs> I had no way. I had no way out. Um, okay, and you guys uh, had you guys first. We're going to talk about we're going to talk about what you're launching in a little while. But how did you guys originally hook up and meet and and hit it off with each other? Like, what's the story behind yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, it was the power of podcasting and social media. I feel like in this age, right. Everything's flat. The world is flat. I can connect with you. I can connect with you, Michael. I can connect with you, Emlyn, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just super flat. So he reached out to me after listening to an episode of the then Young Money podcast, which right. was a book I wrote, spent into a podcast. It's like, yo, how are you doing this? Yeah. Right? And we had this conversation. How about, are you podcasting? How am I podcasting, right? Because Emlyn's got a, got a hot podcast, yeah, too. Hot podcast now. He was okay. like, what are you doing? So I sent him literally the mic that I use, the system that I was using, right? How I edit and everything. And he started his podcast. And since then, we've kind of built this accountability slash community group. Wait, you weren't like, no, 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 don't start a podcast. That's my thing. I got this. No, 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 no. Well, no like, sharing is caring. No. Just, no, I, you know. I, listen, I'm with you, but a lot of people wouldn't be like, <laughs> yeah. 
here's all this shit it took me all this time to figure out. Here, I'll just give it to you. Yeah. So that was cool that you did that. Here it is. Sasha, you're like very baritone. You got a deep voice. <laughs> what, what? Thank you, Michael. He's playing the for Born to pod. Um, and Emlyn, your podcast I listened to for the first time this week, and I thought I thought it was really interesting. How long have you been at it? How many episodes have you done? We had uh, 130 drop today or amazing. Monday. It's amazing. Yeah. Okay. What's you? What's the? What's the feedback like from the listeners? Like, are they telling you what they want more of, what they want less of? Yeah, absolutely. They're you know the the listeners give me the feedback. You know, usually through the through the reviews, but I get to see a lot of feedback from people when I just run into them. But they're telling mm-hmm. me, you know, they like what they're hearing. We had a crypto for common folk this week. Yeah, and uh, got a lot that's of. That's what I listened. That's what I listened to. I thought you did a good job. People really, you know, and so we had just a regular guy come on, right? Because we can have someone that knows everything about crypto. But my client's been asking about it, and I was like, well, let me have someone that would tell it from their perspective. Yeah. Like from his perspective as how easy it was for him to get into it and what they should try to do if they want to get into it. So immediately I was already getting feedback on that. That was a great podcast. We want to, you know, and I got some people that are getting crypto now because of that. What are the types of episodes that do the best? Like, is it, is it like getting a great guest mm-hmm. that's already well known or is it the topic? Like what, what do you, do you even know what's going to be a hit? No, I, the whole podcast honestly is just, it's like the hits, like I've had hits with big name people. I've had hits where it's been me by myself. I've had hits, you know, honestly, let's be my, the biggest hits are the ones that have my wife on. <laughs> like if, if my wife's on the show. Why, and you guys fight? Secret weapon. No, she, fight on well, the, on we don't the fight because she wins. So it's just like, you yeah, know, yeah. It's um, not really a fight. Not really a fight. But I mean, it's just, I think it's just the dynamic of having both of us on there talking about money, you know, and mm-hmm. I think when you have couples doing that, right, this is always, you know, we know it's a touchy subject. Right. So to have both of us on and, you know, my wife's a bank manager. Um, and so, you know, she has a finance background too. So when we can sit there and talk and she can talk about what she's doing at work and I can talk about what's going on, we mix in what's going on with the family and the kids and all that stuff. And people really like that. Those Authentic. are probably the, yeah, those are probably the most, most listened to. You're episodes. giving people. So by doing that, you're giving people more of you than most people doing financial content and definitely stand out as a result of that. Mm-hmm. So was that premeditated or it just happened once and you were like, this is awesome. Let's do it again. I just, it just kind of happened. Like everything that happens in the podcast up until this point has just been kind of like, I'll sit there and I'll have my moments and I'll be like, okay, let's do this. We did a series on financial planning, right? It was seven episodes and we did every step of financial planning. What came from, I was just sitting there and I said, this, this might be good. Mm-hmm. Now has every one of them turned out great? No, but I mean, some of the ideas have been really, really good. And that was one of them. When I had Madi come on, uh, the first time it was just kind of, you know, just have her come on. And then we were like, let's try it again and just have her come on again. And then I started getting the feedback like we love when your wife is on. I was like, oh, well, then let's have her on more. And so that's that's kind of how it happened. What's what's her name? Maricela Miles Mattingly. OK, so it's going to become the Maricela podcast featuring Miles. Uh, Emlyn. Yeah. <laughs> featuring yeah, Emlyn. Just... Like that will be the next phase. Uh, but I feel like you'd be, you it seems like you'd be OK with that. Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, well, you have no choice. So. No, I, 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 if that's what the crowd wants, and you're doing uh, Desarte, you're doing mostly one-on-one interviews, and I think you yeah. do a really good job with them. Thanks. So, what are like the biggest uh, episodes that you've done, or the most meaningful episodes that you've done since you started yours? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a place for having influencers right on the podcast, but the best episodes that I have are the most authentic ones, right? Mm-hmm. When I just cut it on and tell my pain points, my struggles, right? Or have somebody, like this new stage that we were just talking about, me having a kid. The last episode I had with Johansa Harrison, um, I was just telling him how anxious I was about the whole ordeal and how I plan on planning for this new child of mine, right? So I think the more authentic we can be, the better the content is, right? You probably have a lot of listeners that are in the same boat. Either they just had a kid or they're about to. Right. Right. Um, It's universal, too. 
like there are certain aspects of finance. You could do a podcast about crypto. It may not be universal. Mm-hmm. Like, but wh- I feel like when you do that, it's you're really getting everybody. You, everybody's at some phase of life where they can relate to like a podcast about that. For sure. So I, I think it's disarming for the people that typically listen to financial shows to hear people really get into their own lives. Mm-hmm. But I think, again, I think it really makes you stand out. So that's why we're going to do a big expose about Michael's life later on. <laughs> <laughs> One thing we did that I, I forgot, remember uh, we started the, uh, I had a, we had a, um, a series within the series called We Need to Talk. And that yeah, came I, out, that. I forgot about that. That came out, um, that was in 2020. Yeah, that was 2020. Yeah, there was a Desarte, myself, Tyrone. I think I might have heard Sam that. Sam Dean. We were, that, that, that one was well-received. And so we did that. I did three series of that, and that just came out of the same thing. We love Sam. We were talking to Sam yesterday. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Sam Dean. Yeah, Sam Dean. Awesome. Um, so I want to talk about a little bit of the wreckage in the market. And Desarte, you shared this thing about how passive ETFs are hiding a bear market in stocks. I could not agree more. Yeah. What, so when you look at your screen on a day like today, or not yesterday, but maybe maybe uh, maybe the day before, whatever that really nasty day was this week, like what's your what's your opinion of what's going on, and what are you telling clients? Stay put. Okay. I mean, sometimes the best decision is no no action, right? Oh, so a lot of the times, okay. people want to move, and I think that especially for the people that I serve, right? They're young, they're ambitious, they're wealthy because they're working in tech, right? They're at Facebook, Netflix. Everywhere up and down Silicon Valley. I was going to say this. This disproportionately is affecting the stocks that your clients hold or work for. Or even. work for, right? right? And you know, when you're working there, you're kind of drinking the Kool Aid as well, right? So they yes. like have a bunch of these shares, and I'm like, stay put. Right. This has happened before, but I thought that this this was interesting because, I mean, a lot of what we're doing is ETF strategies, right? So you look across the top ten. In any of these funds, they're going to hold similar stuff, right? The Apples, the Googles, the Teflix, the in every ETF, then everything. And and when it said like. One percent gain of the top ten really accounts for a lot of the gain in the in the Nasdaq, right? That that really stuck to me. So I thought it would be interesting. So to share. the top the top ten stocks in the S and P five hundred are a third of the index. Yeah. So as long as Google, Microsoft, Apple, Tesla, Nvidia have held up, uh, it's been masking the real experience that people who own every other stock exactly. are, are every other tech stock, I should say, are going through, which is not not quite as. Uh, enjoyable uh, what's your what's your what's your takeaway from what's going on this week we've got square closing at a 52 week low yep uh shopify 52 week low close i mean these were the darlings of last year so we already saw the ones get hit like drafting already got hit mm-hmm. but those are still crashing down seven percent today zillow stopped crashing finally peloton crashing again seven percent uh, these names can't find the bottom so what's amazing to me is how there could be so much carnage and the index is still not even really reflecting it. But well, th- when you say the index, are you talking about the S&P or the NASDAQ or what? I would I would say the S&P 500. Yeah. Like it's still not really caught up with as – I think the NASDAQ lost a trillion in value last week. And then this week is shaping up to be not much better. And it's really not showing up in the S&P because – everything non-tech seems to be going up. Well, it's mm-hmm. definitely not showing up in the Dow, like yeah. at all. At the, all. The Dow is very cozy right now. Yeah, and and that's in line with past NASDAQ crashes. The Dow has historically been okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, all you need to know is if you see these tech names crashing and you see consumer staples holding up, <laughs> Pepsi hitting a 52-week high, like that's not an exciting market. Yeah, in fact, it's no. the opposite of exciting. Like, were you, were you guys getting a lot of questions from uh, – clients about wanting to trade individual tech stocks 
and high-flying stocks like in 2020, 2021. For sure. Yeah. Come on, man. Everybody wants the sexy stuff. Yes. Right. Right? Like, that's what they want to talk about. That's what they want so to talk about. So you're like, here's an ETF, out. and then what do they call you about? They're like, uh, but what about Apple? Or my friends are getting these well, type of Apple. games. You got what, Apple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What do you, I wanted to ask you a question about that because Emlyn and I were just talking about direct indexing, right? Like, yeah. since we know, right, that 1% gain in the market mm-hmm. accounts for most of it, or it's one-third, as the article says, like, why not rip those names out? and stack them on top of a core portfolio. So I've been experimenting a lot with the core satellite strategy to see if that works. What do you what do you kind of think about so that? So what do you want to do with the core satellite? The core would stay the ETF. Yeah. And then what's in the satellite? Um those top 10 those top 10 names. Even more of them. Right. Mm-hmm. So the the idea being that it's perhaps maybe a safer portfolio cuz it's the highest quality stocks overweighted. Kind of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I I haven't really thought much about it. I think I think uh, one of the things that most advisors experienced over the last couple of years was like FOMO from their yeah. clients. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, do you feel like that's gone? The FOMO? The FOMO, yeah. <laughs> there, well, there's nothing to be, there's nothing to feel like you're missing out of right now other than massive losses. Yeah. <laughs> so, so if you had clients like, why am I not in Kathy Wood? Why am I not, yeah. it, you know, loaded up in Ethereum or whatever? A lot of that FOMO is gone. Yeah. So the the ARC genomic one, ARKG, is, I mean, I think it's down fifty something percent. Right. They're taking a beating. Fifty two percent. Yeah. Fifty two percent. You know the problem with that is I was looking at that as like a like a fallen like something like maybe worth taking a shot on at some point. The Oof. number one holding is the, in in that is Teladoc, which I really don't think has anything to do with genomics right now. And so I didn't even look any further past it. I just said, I'm not buying. I can't do it. Yeah. XBI, XBI the biotechs, like the uh, equal weight biotech index is down 42%. And fast. A lot of, lot of ugliness out there. It I think, I think the, the lesson that experienced investors were hoping got learned by new traders while they're experiencing it. They are on the other side of that right now. Yeah, they are. Because the new traders are not in oil stocks and banks which are going up, the new like the new money that's coming to the market is predominantly in technology. You agree with that? Yeah. Highly correlated yeah. to the NASDAQ, right? And what and, do you tell a person that just wants that, right? Because of the hype, because of the familiarity, right? What, what are you telling those type of folks? They've never seen an environment where like insurance stocks are going up and chip stocks are going down until now. Berkshire Hathaway, by the way, 52-week high. There you go. It's like the perfect. It's like the perfect stock for this moment. Um, one of the reasons why all this is going on with the high growth stocks is inflation, and what the Fed's response is going to be. And this week, Powell was reconfirmed. Uh, it, it, he spoke to Congress and basically he said, "We're going to do what we have to do." And now the debate on Wall Street is three rates or four or or uh, three hikes or four or maybe even five. What are your thoughts, Emlyn, about what's going on with inflation and the Fed? And what are people asking you? People are. So with inflation and the Fed, I mean, I think absolutely, you know, something has to happen. We got to do something right. Um, And people are asking questions just around like I get a lot of stuff about home purchases. Okay. People are asking because a lot of my clients are young. A lot of them are trying to buy homes, so they're asking about that. Should I wait? Should I wait? Should I purchase or now? Mortgage rates are they going to shoot up? Yeah. So what are you telling them? So I'm telling them, uh, 
if you if you're in a position to buy, let's buy. Like it doesn't like there's if 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 most of the people that I'm working with, we've already got you know the savings that they need and everything they have. It's like let's move forward. Let's make sure we can go ahead and get this. And we've been able to help them get into the houses that they want. That's that's mostly what my clients are asking about. Now, when it comes to their investments, absolutely, you know, um, <laughs> just worried about bank money. I got a lot of people that had, you know, new investors coming in, like we were talking about this the other day, there's 25,000 new investors that came into the market, right? So when we have that, a lot of these people that are coming in have never had any market 25 experience. million. 25 million. million. Sorry, yeah, yeah. 25, 25 million, my bad. Couples what years. I was saying to myself, I was like, I, when I said that, I was like, 25,000 <laughs> clients? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when, when, they're, when they're coming in and, and they're worried about the money that they've had in the bank, it's like we need, you know, we're talking strategies, trying to help them get out of that. But it's you got to ease them into it because a lot of these people like it, it's uh, w- I'll talk a little bit about it later when we talk, you know, about the, some of this Definitely. other stuff. But there's um, there's just a lot of talk around purchasing homes. Josh, hey, yeah. have you gone to the grocery store lately? So right? I, like right, yeah. everything is so expensive. I'm in the grocery store a lot yeah. and I almost never notice prices, but I definitely have. Yeah. So I'm on I'm on a whole 30 diet, which means I'm not eating anything fun, so it's just like meat and vegetables. Yeah. yeah. And, bla- Bacon and black coffee. Bacon is up 18% year yes. over year. Yeah. Beef, like if you want to make a beef stew, literally mm-hmm. up 20% and eggs are up 11%. It's crazy. And again, I don't notice the prices at the grocery store until mm-hmm. I paid $11 for a pack of bacon. And I'm like, <laughs> wait, 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 yeah. what the fuck is yeah. this? Yeah. What is this? Literally, like my grocery bill was never ever over $300 yeah. and now it's over $300. For sure. And that's at a regular supermarket that's not even Whole Foods? It's not even like an expensive <laughs> Like North Shore Farms, <laughs> like a regular, a grocery store, grocery store. That's so, wild. Well, here's, all right, here's the labor department on Wednesday put out CPI, consumer mm-hmm. price. Um, it rose 7% in December uh, from the same month a year earlier. So that's a year over year, 7%. And it's up from a 6.8% uh, growth rate in November mm-hmm. over the prior November. So it's the fastest pace of rising inflation since 1982. Um, month over month is slowing a little bit. Well, so I wanted to get into that, but it's the third straight month of north of 6%, which mm-hmm. is which is why everyone's feeling it more and Not more. Not great, Bob. So I I personally think it's peaking right now. I think really? it's peaking at the same time as Omicron. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but so the core price where they pull out food, they pull out energy is up 5.5%. So it's no matter how you look at it, it's 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 huge. It's noticeable to so everybody. It's there, becoming a political problem. There's subcomponents in the CPI. This guy, Michael McDonough from Bloomberg reported that 90, it's broad-based. Yep. 90% of the subcomponents are above the Fed's target, which is 2%. That's a joke. Like mm-hmm. everything's above 2% basically. Yeah. Right. So- I think I think it's I think it's peaking right now, and I have a lot of uh, I have a lot of support in the data that says every October there's a huge spike in imports as everybody gets ready for holidays, and then the consumer goes crazy in November and December, which leads to tons of demand, mm-hmm. and then every January it co- it's like an ice age, like every January February everything cools off, mm-hmm. people are done. Yeah. And that gives these supply chains a chance historically to like catch their breath. To breathe a little bit. Rebuild inventory slowly. Um, now, that cycle that I just described was on steroids this time mm-hmm. because consumers have never had this much money mm-hmm, for sure. and purchasing power. And and stock stock portfolios have never been this high. And everybody's home price went up an average of 20%. Yeah. So just like that wealth effect was pumping – the Fed, uh, the Treasury was putting money into people's accounts. Like, just everybody was ready to go nuts. Mm-hmm. I really think that 
between Omicron and the calendar turning over, all this stuff's about to cool off really fast. And I'm hoping it does so in time for the Fed to not go crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. with a 50 basis point hike or some shit. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. think they're going to do it either. Um, I just was booking my flight down to Miami for February. These guys, I'll be there. Awesome. How was your flights to New York in terms of price? Was it normal, above normal, below normal, or? or it was pretty normal. Pretty normal. It wasn't, but it wasn't, the Miami flights, the Miami though. flights, crazy high, crazy. Oh, really? Okay, because <laughs> yeah. mine was mine's ninety two dollars. Mine was slow. Mine was low. Mine, mine was pretty high. Leaving Sacramento though, so you better I mean, send those bills to Matt and John. I'll tell you right now, those Miami flights, you better invoice. Yeah, uh, I don't think I've ever seen a flight so cheap. Yeah, mine was cheap. Mine was like mine was like I seen the cheapest flight I seen from Fresno to Miami. You know, with the layover, uh, it was like one ninety six. That's, That's not, not bad. bad. Cross country. Yeah. Try try that flight uh, Christmas week. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I just got, I just got back from Miami. I'm excited to go back again. If if you think New Yorkers are chill about uh, COVID, yeah, in Miami it's it's almost like somebody telling you they have allergies. What? Like, it's just it is just not a, it is just not a thing anywhere other than like where the retirement homes are. Mm-hmm. So it's probably why everybody wants to be there. I wanted to get into uh, maybe there's a silver lining in inflation because one of the things driving this is that for the first time in our lives. People in the bottom ten or twenty percent of the income distribution have bargaining power. Like they're able to tell their employer, "No," or "No, I won't work those hours," or "Pay me more," or "I'm leaving and starting my own shit." Like yeah. <laughs> that is a huge movement. And maybe as much as we all hate inflation, oh my god, my bacon is so expensive. I don't feel like it's that black and white for people in the bottom who have never been so in demand. Yeah. And there's a lot else going on. There's a lot of uh, retirement, excess retirement. There's been no immigration into the country for three three or four years since Trump um, and since COVID obviously exacerbated that. Uh, but what? how do we feel about these people finally being in a position where they can stand up for themselves and ask for more money? And And we see it in the data. Like isn't that kind of the silver lining of inflation? What do you think? I think, I mean, that's one of the the good things happening right now, right? But I think the real silver lining is how these people are trying to make their money work for them, right? They're seeing things getting more expensive. They're seeing their commute that probably costs $40 a tank, 60 in California now, right? So they're like, how am I going to stretch this dollar? So I see a lot of folks trying to get into the market. I mean, it's evident you just mentioned 25 million new investors entering the market. I think that trend 2x is at least this year, right? You're going to find more people as things get more expensive trying to figure out how they can leverage more of their money, right? And have more buying power. So I think that continues. I think that's the biggest you Remember line. how long we were saying millennials are never going to invest? Yeah. They don't like stocks. <laughs> yeah. They don't like owning things. They yeah. want to rent everything. Mm-hmm. That's over. Yeah. Nobody's, over. Nobody's yeah. saying that anymore. Over. That, t- that didn't take long. At all. Did 25 million people all figure out at once, oh shit, the only people who can survive are equity investors? It, like everybody figured this out and just went. rushed there. Yeah, right? seriously. And they were led there by celebrities. Yes, yeah. it's, it's very it's very interesting how quick that that seems to have become uh, an epiphany. It's kind uh, of a perfect storm. It's a perfect storm, and maybe all these people would have eventually become investors, but maybe not for five or ten more. Well, years. I think having checks sent directly to the bank account helped. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, it's always easier to play with somebody else's money, right? <laughs> I think but having, I think those, that's what having those sports and wanting to bet on something helped too. Yo, those stocks yeah, went man. crazy last year. Bonkers, DraftKings, DraftKings, MGM, yeah, stuff like that. And yeah. there was mm-hmm. there were no games on. 
of any sport None. for yeah. 10 months. And the stock market never stopped. Yeah. And and Bitcoin was 24 hours. Pen, Pen, got us, Pen Gaming got as high as uh, 142. It's now down to 45. Wow. Oh. Holy smokes. I was, by the way, I was looking at Peloton today. Yeah. Mar- market cap, 46 billion to 10 billion. Wow. Trounced. I'm 36 billion one. gone. Crazy. Zoom, yeah. 160 billion to 48. Lower. Easy. Lower. Oh, wow. I mean, today it's eventually. Lower. Yeah. All right. Um, you guys just, you guys were just out with some news, and I was really excited to have you come here and tell us about it. I read all the press releases and stuff, but big picture is that you are starting or you have started the Onyx Advisor Network, which you call a new community platform focused on supporting underrepresented. Uh, financial advisors. Tell me, tell me what you're doing there. Yeah, the Onyx Advisor Network is a platform that helps financial advisors underrepresented is a word that we like to use. Financial advisors start, scale, and sustain their businesses um, for so long. I mean, you walk into conferences, you see one black man, mm-hmm. one if that uh, yeah. person of Latin descent in there, right? If yeah. that, and it's kind of it's tough, right? So we've decided to start this network to help people to see that they belong in the industry. There's space for them, right? They're seen, they're heard, they're known. Um, and that they can scale and be successful in this space. Um, I think for the longest time, the industry, like we've been screaming from the bottom to the top, trying to get help and trying to feel seen, right? But as I tell Emlyn all the time, you know, you can't expect your cries to be heard from the bottom. It just doesn't happen that way, right? So we've created with a bunch of partners um, this network that hopefully will allow advisors to start scale, sustain, retaining the business and change the complexion of wealth, as, as Emlyn likes to say. How are you doing that? Yes, we have seven or so partnerships. Mm -hmm. Um, And basically, when an advisor onboards, right, or is trying to be independent, they have to go through things that we've all gone through, regulatory stuff. So we've hired a compliance consultant to do that for our advisors. We have Altruist as one of our custodians right now, right? Um, And that is really unique because for the longest, you had to have it. The number is $10 million, right? To even have a rep code at some of these custodians. Yeah. You know, name and them, higher right? now. Higher so now, if you're right? a brand new financial advisor bringing on your first clients and your first clients are giving you $50,000 each, yeah. you just, you're just disenfranchised yeah. from the, the big system. And nobody's can't, talking can't about it. it. Nobody's right. talking about that, right? So right. when you see that happen, you'll have underrepresented advisors that don't even do investment management mm-hmm. because they're like so far away from the 25 to 10 million dollars in AUM. So what are they doing like hourly consulting for service and, ho- and hoping they can one day yeah. manage assets. Like hopefully one day I'll be there or maybe I'll be a IAR at a at a firm and you know I'll be able it's to crazy. get around it that way. So we have Altris doing that. We have two financial planning softwares, Right Capital and um Money Guy Pro. Mm-hmm. The folks over at Investnet. Both very high quality. We have uh, Wealthbox that's going to be our primary CRM. We have Vanguard creating the Onyx portfolio which will be SRI, ESG, and standard growth portfolios, core ETFs. What were those conversations? We love Vanguard. What were those conversations with Vanguard like? Did they get it immediately? Were there a lot of hurdles to jump over? It wasn't, what even, was that a like? it wasn't okay. even a question. No. Yeah, Has anybody they, ever approached them and asked them for something like that? Probably not. I mean, they, they mentioned like females in finance, but I think what we're doing is super unique, right? Mm-hmm. Because we're allowing advisors who otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity to even manage assets, right? It's amazing. Giving them away. So the way that I like to frame it is that from the inception of your firm Mm -hmm. to the day-to-day operations of your firm, right? So regulatory, registration, ongoing. Like starting with what documents do I need? Starting with that all the way to like, these are the portfolios that my clients are invested in. We're giving the advisor all of that. And then when you add on our supplemental partners, which are, you know, if you have a niche practice and you do tax, right, we have something for you to do that. Estate planning, all of that stuff. Now you're really building a tech stack to be 
dangerous, as I like to say, (laughs) in the space. But you could say to your client, coming aboard with me, even though I'm new, or wouldn't say new, but even though I'm just getting started with my firm, like full disclosure, you're one of 20 clients, not 20,000 clients, but I have access to everything that all these other advisors have because I'm part of this network so I can help you with your taxes. Definitely leverage for the newer emerging advisor. But I think that for the even the scale-up advisors, mm-hmm. right, so that space before you hit your first $50 million, I think that those people are going to find that all the educational coaching stuff that we have going on, right, yeah. the community there is going to give them some, you know, confidence to, to really can remain in the industry, learn from their colleagues. I mean, the best thing that I feel like FinSwit has done for me is pair me up with the people that are ultra smart, right? Like, he's doing that. And that's how they're looking Twitter at this. Twitter is really amazing for that. You absolutely. would never, yeah. you would never be able to make connections like that with people that are doing the same thing you're doing, but geographically just miles away. Right. There's no other way that that would come about that I can, that I can think of. So it's really amazing for that. Yeah, man. My my word for that is, or my phrase is that it's collaboration over competition. Right. So if we foster that environment like we have on Finswit in Onyx, right, everybody can win. Okay, so you're a young, so you're a young advisor. You start your firm. You mm-hmm. join Onyx. Onyx is helping you from day one. You're doing your disclosure docs, Everything. and then, the, and now here's so for me when you guys were explaining it, I was thinking like, think about how hard it is for a solo advisor to choose between eight different providers mm-hmm. of every type of software. Like even if you know exactly what you're looking for, yeah. that's eight Zoom meetings. Yeah, <laughs> five Zoom meet, whatever. Like. And then it's about – and then pricing decisions. And then is this one going to be interoperable with that one, right? So you guys are doing this curation part where you're saying, don't worry about all the choices. We chose for you. This is what's going to work, and we're giving you a great price on it because you're coming in through us. For sure. Let's just let's yeah. stay on price, right? Yeah. Like I started my firm at 24. <laughs> I didn't have anything to really hang my hat on, right? So I was always looking for that a takes, bargain that takes, deal. By the way, it takes huge balls. I mean, to, to be like at 24, like I'm 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 an entrepreneur now and I'm doing financial advice. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I felt like I lost everything. So taking a stab at a business, if I lost the like if I had to go back to the bank, it wouldn't have felt as bad as what I already lost. And that's for another conversation, but price alone, right? You see so often that these underrepresented advisors just can't pay the cost for technology and the cost to run a business, right? So if you're paying on average $400 a month for a piece of technology, for one piece of technology, stack that with six more, right? You're over $20,000, you are not spreading 000. that out over enough clients. You know what I mean? It's profitable. Like no. you're like it, it losing money sense. just to provide it. You're in the red for sure, right? So allowing, like doing this, I think creates longevity for a lot of practices, it, it, it creates inclusivity for a group of advisors who are otherwise disenfranchised and neglected in the in the industry. And I think it creates again a, a more diverse room. Can we talk about can we talk about that that term you guys are using underrepresented? Yeah, for sure. I have I have a, a point of view of what I think you mean by that, but yeah. like what what do you mean when you say underrepresented? Underrepresented advisors are going to be you know advisors of color, women. LBGTQ plus. Okay. That's an underrepresented advisor. That's the that's the market that no one's going at. What makes them underrepresented? Is it because the is it's only recently that larger firms are interested in even hiring them, let alone 
supporting their career growth. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, like if listening to our stories, you know, just talking about the challenge of even getting into the industry, right? The industry is not made welcoming to uh, everyone. Right. So when you get into this place and you're trying to get into this industry and you can't get in, there's so many barriers. What do you do? Like, what, what do you give up? Like, I, 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 so this is, you know, give you my story. Went to Morgan. No. Went to, uh, went to Morgan Stanley, went to Merrill. No. Then I finally got in to at Edward Jones. This is after banking. I've been in banking for, I don't know how many years already. I was already managing the bank. I already had some of my licenses and they just wouldn't let me in. And so, you know, being able to create that gateway for advisors like us, because because we're saying underrepresented, this is underrepresented, right? It, let, let's just call it. Let me it give is. you some numbers on that. Yeah, so I, I, I did. I did some work on this. Uh, I did some work on this last year for a podcast episode I did um, about that underrepresentation, um, and I actually did a whole series on, on this. But uh, I want I wanted to see what the updated numbers were. And they, they've changed a lot, but not not as much as they should have. Mm-hmm. In 2020, the number of black and Latino certified financial planners in the U.S. grew substantially 12, 12.6% over the previous year, which was growth of 8%. So it's definitely heading in the right direction. But we're still talking about 1,493 total black certified financial planners, and that's less than 2% of all CFPs. In the that's a fucking joke, and 100%. right. So so obviously we could be playing catch up forever at the pace that we're we're going now. So yeah. and then so you're also but you're also talking about not just uh, black and Latino but uh, LGBTQ. Why is it important for you guys to include them in the community that you're building? I think it's because it, because we want to cre- we've been excluded before. How would we be able to build something and exclude a group of people from what we're building, understanding what that feels like, understanding that they need to have a place where they can grow, like almost 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 like an incubator, if you will. So we wanted to be able to take care of all groups that were underrepresented and be able to show them how to build a practice. Right. And so that's that's the thing. Like no one is even reaching out to that group. Do you think that these people are going to graduate from Onyx or are they going to stay in the family? How do you think that's going to work? That's a challenge, right? Yeah. Because a lot of the times you find that emerging advisors need a place to start, right? Mm-hmm. And once they figure out that, um, well, I can pay for this now, right? right? For example, they'll go do it on their own. Mm-hmm. But I think that the cost savings, the community, right, is so robust. Um, and Would I think, you even be mad though if there were like alumni who were success stories? Like, you have your wings. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Duh. That if we If we were a part of that success, I think we're doing a good job, right? Like you have a 10, 20 year career and you started at Onyx. I don't think we would shake a stick at that. Um, but I do think that there will be so much value um, and so much cost savings mm-hmm. that it might make sense for advisors to the stay. The other thing that you guys might end up doing is as the organization grows, you're going to need more people helping you lead it. Oh, yeah. For sure. And so some of the people that are starting with you in 2022 – in 2025 might be recruiting young members and mentoring them. So there doesn't necessarily have to be an end mm-hmm. to somebody's participation in the community. For sure. They could just like, they could grow with you guys. And I, I think that community aspect is really the part that makes it sticky, right? It's we're talking about FinTwit. This community is one of the, you know, one of the stickiest communities ever. And so if you do something like that and create that community aspect where advisors can come in and get fed and, feed other advisors, right? It's not only about just pouring into yourself. The Sarte likes to call it push-pull. Like, we have a responsibility, you know. They're pushing us forward, and we have to pull them with us as we go. So when I think about that and I think about the community aspect, when we were talking about this uh, uh, earlier today, 
Um, we had went to, I went to a conference. This is in 2018. This is when this idea started. And we went to this conference, right? And, and there was like 15 people of underrepresented advisors from, from, from all the, the walks of life that we were like talking so about. so few that you can literally count them. Count 15. Took right. a picture with them. I got right. a picture on my phone. <laughs> Took a picture with them and never had seen anything like this. And just, we went to dinner afterward. I mean, it was like, a, it was like, we're just a group now. There's all 15 of us walking around, taking, had dinner. And, and it was in that group of people. I was like, what if we had a community? That was bigger than this of all advisors from all around the country working together. Because I, I had learned so much. Desarte and I learned so much from each other about our own personal practices when we were talking like, hey, what are you doing with this? Hey, what are you doing with that? How's right. this going? How's that going? And if you multiply that now, we got, you know, the invest like the West group and, yeah. and we, you know, we are able to sharpen each other. And what happens as the group expands? What happens is there's more people added. What happens is there's more resources added. What happens is, you know, so I think that that is going to be the part that makes people not want to leave. Do you think that Wall Street has, uh, since last summer, has really gotten serious about um, doing more, not just a, a once a year thing, but like really making it part of their business to diversify their uh, employee base, to cater to a more diverse client base? Because from my perspective, it looks serious. And I look at Goldman uh, now taking on smaller accounts from young people. If you're going to do that, it ain't going to be all white kids. Mm-hmm. Like the new face of wealth is every is is everyone. Like, yeah. So it's, an, it's a more inclusive group of young, wealthy people. So you have no choice, basically. So I kind of feel like they're doing that. But maybe it's not fast enough. Um, I threw this in the doc. Uh, CFP just appointed their first black American chair. Yeah. Camilla Elliott. You know her? Uh, I know of her. She's at uh, 202 Grid with Keith Beverly mm-hmm. okay. and that whole team. So she is the f- the first black American chair effective January 7th, um, serves as president and partner of small Washington-based ESG-focused RIA Grid 202. I, I mean, it's it's a pretty big deal that, that they're doing that, uh, especially given that it's like 2% of their of their base, the CFP base. So, but where, I guess my question would be like, is it not fast enough? Is it not sincere enough? Like based on what you're saying. It's not intentional enough. It's not. It's not intentional enough. I think that when we look at um, diversity and inclusion in like traditionally, it was about filling quotas, right? It was like, we need to hire one diverse woman on our staff. All right. We got one. We got one. (laughs) Yay. Slaps, clinks, coffee mugs. Like that, that was the extent of the planning for diversity and inclusion. I, I, I hate that term, right? But I just think that we're getting intentional in the sense of giving people equity in their own firm. They're going to continue to grow their equity in their own firm, grow the autonomy of their practice, right? Serve the communities that they want to serve and not have to really think too much about the barriers of cost, um, the barriers of how to or finding a custodian. Like there's so many layers of challenges that these yeah, folks you have guys to do start a cheat sheet you guys you, will put yeah. people like three years ahead of where they would be on their own so that's the, that's the goodness so i don't want to say it's not happening fast enough i think that the industry is really um recognizing that mm-hmm. this is a problem and it starts there but after recognizing it's understanding educating and then implementing right so we're just in that first part that first part like i recognize that this is an opportunity, right, that we have to address, and it's just a problem, but understanding education. I like that you're framing it as an opportunity because, you know, again, this new, the new generation of wealth, like, you're going to look like a clown if you have, let's say, a, an advisor force. Yes. And 
and they don't represent the people that you're talking to. Mm-hmm. That's like to me, representation is like what is the demography of the country, and then where is the wealth being actually being created? Yeah, and then who are you putting across the table from the new millionaires? Wealth like, doesn't look like it used to, right? No, like, that's right. Like where I am in Northern California, like there are young women that are crushing it, yeah. right? Data scientists, some of my clients, right? And they're getting paid in equity. In fact, they negotiate over 50% of their their compensation, right? In equity. That turns into a lot at Tesla, at Google, right? At some of these startup companies that are getting acquired or merging, right? Um, one big acquisition I just had, I mean, she got like $14 million from it. So <laughs> it's these, these things that you would never think mm-hmm. that this person that might be wearing this hoodie and the beanie fold up looking cool, right? might really be worth $20 million because yeah. he or she was a early employee at a startup, right? Um, with a 32 cent strike price. Like these things matter. And I think if we turn a blind eye to that, the industry is doing itself a disservice. Advisors right. are doing There goes that opportunity. It'll go to somebody else. Um, I want to pivot and talk and, and talk about uh, talk about ETFs versus mutual funds. And we use both at the firm. So we're not like celebrating one over the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike, you threw this in the dock? Yeah, this is... Uh, Throw this chart up. All right, so... Speaking of Vanguard. We're talking about Vanguard here. This is from Baltrunas. ETFs account for just 24% of Vanguard's assets, but 92% of their net flows in 2021. So we're looking at a chart of Vanguard net flows, and in the most recent year, it was $355 billion. ETFs were $328 billion of that. I mean, the acceleration is is upon us. So it might be an overstatement to say that mutual funds are dead, but they're going to die a long, slow death. It's going to be, it's going to take decades for the money to drip out. But yeah, it's coming. If ninety percent of the inflows are going into ETFs, and then you figure the average owner of a mutual fund is older mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. the average owner of an ETF, then the net flows are definitely going negative. Mm-hmm. Like eventually, I would love to see those numbers. Yeah, how long those? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. If we can project out, like, when will the mutual funds actually die? <laughs> <laughs> so when you guys build portfolio, when you, uh, Desarte, when you build portfolios, um, what is the what is the primary consideration as far as like what funds you're going to use or what ETFs you're going to use? I mean, we want some domestic exposure. We want to also invest globally, right? Um, I'm huge. I'm a huge proponent of ETFs. We don't use any mutual funds. Okay. Right. None. I just think that they're most they're just too expensive. I right. think. The tax treatment is favorable for the investor with the ETFs, right? Um, and yeah, we're just trying to globally diversify, politically diversify, right? And see where there's opportunity. But I'm a fan of this. I think this is speaking to the big change that we're having right in front of us. Um, the way that I was taught to be an advisor isn't the way that advising is right now. The the way that I was taught to invest, that's not necessarily how people are, are investing. Are we going to blow up anybody's spot today or what are, we, what, are we, what are we doing? We'll save that for the last five minutes. Come on, let's get them. Let's um, get them. But you know what I mean? It's different. Yeah. What was, what was the worst thing you were taught that just completely doesn't apply today? Not to, put, not to put you on the spot. thing that I was taught that completely – well, I was taught that a all-equity portfolio is the right fit for everybody. Okay. Like you all, you should only hold stocks. It's cheaper. Over time, it appreciates way more. But you're not considering the person in that right. recommendation, right? Because everybody can't stomach necessarily the risk that we probably all can to know that stocks are volatile, right? So that was one of the first things that I was taught. Like we only do all equity individual stock portfolios. I was taught not to invest in your 401k and buy life insurance instead. Hey, I've heard that. That's a, that's a, that's a, I've heard that. Yeah. You were taught to do that for your clients and and for yourself. Yeah. Oh yeah. Did you do it though? Of course not. (laughs) 
He's too, he's too smart for that. Well, I I, I was taught that uh, that you should always find something that somebody's asking for. Like in other words, I was taught like if the client calls up looking for something, yeah, just say yes and find it for them. So if a client's like, I read an article in Barron's and I really want to own um, a biotech fund, mm-hmm. like my job as a broker mm-hmm. before we were calling ourselves financial advisors was go find them a biotech fund and do, you know, do your best, talk to an analyst, blah, 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 Morningstar. But like, that's what I was taught was the business. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, no, no, no. The business is telling the client what they need and then bringing them that, not catering to their whims based on the last thing they read or the last person they talked to. But I spent years like executing penny stocks for people. Like whatever, whatever you ask me for, I'll do it. I'll find a way to get paid for it. I'll do it. was part of the job. You know what I mean? So, I mean, that was definitely one of the dumbest things that I was taught, but <laughs> it, that was, that was the business at the time. Um, speaking of dumb, did you guys read this article about uh, the, the Binance guy? Yeah. What the fuck is going on here? How is this? Po- uh, let me read this. In a region known for dizzying wealth, Zhao, 44 years old, fits right in. His net worth is $96 billion, according to the Bloomberg Billionaires Index. Uh, excluding his crypto holdings. Excluding his holdings in crypto. That makes him richer than Zuckerberg and Google's founders, Larry Page and Sergey Brin. And it could be much larger if you actually factor in how much Bitcoin and whatever else he owns. Um, but Binance has the thing called Binance Coin. And that went up 1,300% last year. It's What is that? It's not a stable coin, but it's what they use in between transactions. What uh, Binance coin? Yeah. I've uh, seen BNB a lot on like Trust Wallet and stuff like that. So but I don't necessarily know If you're know using Binance and you sell Bitcoin and you're going to buy something else, the money goes into Binance coin in between. It's the way it was explained to me. Is that... I've had to buy, I've had to buy, like when I want to buy like an altcoin, for example, I had to convert it to BNB first. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. It's like an in-between coin is the best way that I can explain it. So this guy basically has a treasury of this BNB coin Mm. and he's (laughs) richer than anyone else that you've ever heard of. And I just wanted to ask, when you read about stuff like this. Don't you feel like everything has to crash immediately? I'm like, how do how do you make this make sense? Yeah, right. It doesn't make any sense at all, right? Yeah, it's it seems almost like somebody found a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow, like in a children's story. <laughs> when yeah. you, I don't. What what do you think about this, Emily? Yeah, same thing. It's like you you hear this and then like it, it's just it's uh, the first thing that comes is I think Fugazi. I think like like you said, it's fake. It's like how like I, I hear what he's saying, but it's just. Doesn't make sense. If you had a hundred billion in something called Binance Coin, <laughs> even if you invented it, would you be sleeping well at night? Not at all. Okay. I mean, but it is the it is is it the biggest crypto brokerage in the world? I think it's the biggest exchange and the most illegal. <laughs> well, so they're not, well, but they're not. In the, <laughs> you read the article; they're not even a, like he's not even allowed to live anywhere because in every jurisdiction, somebody is like going after going after them for AML uh, violations. Wow. Because think about think about how easy it is to launder money through a crypto exchange, and then the other ones are playing ball with regulators, and this guy's just like nah, and I don't even I don't think he has like a, I don't even think there's a headquarters for the company. I actually do all my money laundering through Binance. What about you guys? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty. I mean, it's pretty convenient. Um, anyway, his name is uh, his name is they call him CZ. I've never heard of this person. I I'm not really that informed about crypto, but I just. It strikes me that it's it would be impossible for me to imagine five years from now 
if he's still like worth a hundred billion. So either it's going to be a trillion or significantly less. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> significantly <laughs> less. Um, all right. What? So what are you guys doing in the in the crypto realm? Like, what's what's your strategy? Because if you're talking to young rich people, they're probably asking you about it every day. Yeah, I think if you are going to serve millennials or younger professionals, this is a part of the conversation. Um, I mean, advice. So all in Binance. All in Binance all for in. sure. Right. Just put it all on BNB. That's it. But um, I mean, people are saying that the rule of thumb should be one percent exposure. I feel uncomfortable recommending crypto right now without fully understanding. Um, the entire, you know, the thing that how it works. Like, I don't want to recommend anything that I don't fully understand. Um, I have FOMO when it's <laughs> with crypto, um, but I think that, you know, I'm okay with the amount that I've allocated towards it, right? So when people ask, I just tell them what I did, mm-hmm. right? Like, this is what I did. But you tell them, go do it yourself. Go do it yourself. I mean, right. I'm not going to do it for you, but this is what I did. I have holdings in Bitcoin. I have holdings in ETH. Right. And that's where I feel comfortable. I've experimented with some altcoins, didn't work out too well. Mm-hmm. Right. So I wouldn't recommend that. Um, but I think that this is going to continually be a part of the conversation and we got to continue to educate ourselves so we can. The 1% seems like advice. it's the industry standard. Yeah. Like, is that what everyone's that's, saying? That's what everybody's that's what saying. saying. And then if Bitcoin goes to 100,000, will that be 2% magically <laughs> over, overnight? <laughs> of course. Right. Maybe, maybe three. Maybe, th- maybe even three at that <laughs> yeah. point. They used to say gold should be 5%. Yeah. And then gold, uh, fell 30%. I started hearing a lot of 1% gold, 2% yeah. gold. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what do you, what do you think is going to happen with uh, the wealth business and financial advice and crypto? Like, is, is this going to be the year where it becomes like a real thing that everyone's doing or not yet? I don't know if it'll come all the way this year, but I think it's going to, it's definitely like I, I've seen it come up like in the last, you know, 12 months. I'm by the fine. way, Tyrone listens to the show. So yeah, you yeah, better yeah. be as bullish as, of course. as, yeah. as of you course. need to be. But I mean, cause you know, we, we uh, but I, I'm thinking about it in, in terms of like, how will it really, can it work this soon? Right. And, and, and what I mean by that is clients still don't know that much about it. Yeah. So when you're having them come in, it's still, you know, and advisors are still learning about it. So um, you know, shout out to OnRap, OnRap Academy, right? You can go there, learn more and stuff like that. Yes. So I think until, I think, I think we're, we're still in a learning phase. People are still filling it out. Um, and I'm talking to the consumer on that side. And I'm talking to advisors because you're, you're talking, you know, we can tell people what to, you know, tell them that they should do it. But we're not, I'm not managing it for them or anything like that at this point. So here would, here would be, here would be what somebody would say back to you about not recommending something that you don't fully understand. Most financial advisors could not have explained internet to their clients like in the late 90s, For sure. early 2000s. For sure. Mm-hmm. Or how do mobile phones work? Mm-hmm. Or even like how do biotech companies do drug discovery? Mm-hmm. Like I don't I don't know that it's the advi- necessarily the advisor's role mm-hmm. to become an expert in how all the investments work. But I feel like the advisor has to say, okay, there might be something here yes. and my client is wealthy enough to bear some risk. Mm-hmm. And just in case, like we can't have no exposure. Yeah. So I think that's where I am mentally, or at least hopefully that will hold up in court. <laughs> yeah. No, that, I mean, that's, that's how I feel. Like we, we don't know if these are the next big software companies and they're just not classified as companies, but like if, if any of what the crypto people are saying comes to pass and we have no exposure, is that the right answer? No, because because I don't think as an advisor you can't tell like if you don't if you're you, you have to have some exposure, right? So one <laughs> percent. The best way to like like 
tip your hat to that is to say, like, this is what I'm doing, right? I mean, you guys, I read an article, you guys invest in the same portfolios as your clients, right? Yeah. So who am I to be like, yep, this is a good idea, but I don't Mike, hold any. Mike, <laughs> was the, Mike was the first money in to the crypto index that we did with uh, – with Jeremy and Tyrone's people. Like, exactly. So we were, we were and obviously, I was, and I was second. We were very vocal about what we're doing, but it was all inbound, right? Mm-hmm. If our clients saw it and they want to participate, now we have something that we're proud of. It's diversified. We can invest it for them on their behalf, but we definitely don't want to be out there pounding the table on an investment yeah. that could fall 50% in two weeks, yeah. right? Like nobody wants to be, well, you told me to do this. I don't even know what crypto is. Why do you recommend this? So this is really all inbound for us. Yeah, we're yeah. not recommending it to anyone. Like we let clients know it exists. And then we've had clients asking us for years. And then we have clients that are like, I don't want to do that shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're fine either way. Mm-hmm. But what we don't want is to send the client to a solution that's like a trap. Yeah. Or that's potentially problematic. And in the crypto world, there's a lot of traps, right? There's so I many like ways. The whole thing is, I feel like the whole thing is. <laughs> there's a lot of traps. It's a minefield. Yeah. So like, you can invest in something and it sounds like a good idea. And everybody's bullish when they get those. Uh, notifications that says mm-hmm. Bitcoin's at an all-time high, right? And then you get those calls. But I think having a safe vehicle, quote-unquote, to do so is a smart idea. Well, that's 100% right. I want. I also was happy that this is going to keep clients away from doing something potentially exactly. dangerous on their own, right? Like, oh, I see. What's what's meta? I see this Decentraland. I'm seeing these coins that are going up. Should I buy them? Like, relax. You so could much. invest in that through our index if you want to. Yeah. Come meet me in my virtual office in the Cayman Islands. Right. <laughs> right? It's Web 3.0. Uh, Venmo is allowing, Venmo has like 400 million users or some insane Crazy, number. yeah. They're allowing you to convert dollars into uh, Bitcoin and maybe also Ethereum. Um, How are they doing right, this? right in the app, which I, I don't think it's a brokerage transaction, mm-hmm. but you're definitely selling dollars to buy Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. I, I guess the question is, what happens when Venmo starts allowing people to send each other crypto and mm-hmm. that really takes off? Or you know how there's Venmo pay in store now? Mm-hmm. What happens when you could just do a QR code and pay for something finally in crypto, which nobody has really figured out how to do that quickly? Like, is that the moment where clients are like, oh, now I really understand this. But will it be too late at that moment, right? Where is the price? Yeah, like, will it be too late? Pro- probably. That? And how does how will these companies do it in a way that reduces the gas fees, right? Because you can send crypto now. You can send it from your trust wallet back to Coinbase, from Coinbase back to your tr- trust wallet. Yeah, you could send $100 for $80. Yeah, but you're going to take you're gonna get ripped off <laughs> for sending those transactions, right? So... I think the kick. Yeah, is, I hate Visa and Mastercard, but yeah. I'm totally, I'm totally cool but with here's uh, 979 dollars yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for this transaction. So I think there's a lot of questions there, right. um, but I think I almost agree when they start doing that. What what price will Bitcoin be at when that happens? A hundred thousand dollars per. So coin? you're probably yeah. so you're in Fresno. You're probably having much fewer conversations than Desarte has to unless in San well, Francisco. Yeah. Well, since the pandemic, we got clients all over the country. But prior to that, no, there wasn't. So this is what I'm saying. Over the last 12 months, I've seen a lot more of those conversations, had a lot more of those conversations just because the clients were coming from different places. But uh, in the Central Valley, man, we're we're way behind. (laughs) Yeah, it's just it's just I think Central Valley and those like more rural areas, Mm -hmm. they have like apps like Acre Invest and stuff like that. So there's also things that clients are asking there that I might not know about, right? And I've heard of like VinoVest, Anthony Zhang, they're investing in wine. A lot of people in Sonoma are asking about that. Like, how can I get exposure to wine mm-hmm. now? So I think every reason has its thing, right, mm-hmm. that you can kind of talk about. Um, wanted to, I wanted to ask you guys about this thing 
this just this abundance concept. It looks like it looks like uh, infrastructure is like stalling in in uh, stalling in Congress, or we don't know what shape that will ultimately take, or or whatever. And it just feels like people are waiting in line everywhere you look. Yeah. Mostly, it's to get tested for yeah. COVID. Um, but people are waiting for things to be delivered to the ports. It just feels like there's scarcity everywhere. Mm-hmm. Derek Thompson at, at The Atlantic wrote this thing, kind of explaining that a lot of it is intentional. Like, we have the fewest physicians per capita of any anywhere in the West. We're making it really hard to become a doctor. Well, I never really thought about that until I read him. It sounds so obvious. Like, residency for doctors sounds awful. It's like they're trying to disincentivize people from becoming medical doctors. What is going on here? I, I don't quite understand what the reason is. We also don't let the immigrants that were medically trained from other countries come here and just start practicing. They do in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're desperate for doctors. So if, you, if you're a dentist in Poland and you show up in England, you could start practicing. Wow. And we're not doing anything like that. So I just wanted to read this one part because I thought it was really – basically he wants to start promoting this uh, abundance agenda. And it would be pretty popular with pretty much everyone, whether you're right, left, libertarian, because there's something for everyone to, that's complaining about right now. So he's saying like uh, – here, hang on. I lost it. But I, I guess the main point is like what do you think – what do you think the economy looks like now that all this money is out there in the system and being spent and now that we we may not get like a full-blown infrastructure bill, but people are just spending and demand eventually has to arrive. We can't have lines around the corner forever. We yeah. can't have people waiting six months for things yeah. forever. So what do you think that's going to look like in the next couple of years specifically for the next generation of wealthy people? I don't know, man. I live in California and there's so many homeless people around right now, right? It almost feels like even though there's so much money circling around and moving at incredibly fast paces, it seems like it's just widening the gap in, to some degree, right? So I can't say if things yeah, get— scarcity of housing, and that's also yeah, a policy choice. Mm-hmm. Things get better or worse, but when you walk down San Francisco, I mean, you're going to pass by at least like 50 homeless people on your way to right. Union Square, so, right. but it's not only there. It's like it's down. It's all in California. It's all up and down. It's it's, it's a real problem. Yeah. You guys, well, you guys went around Madison Square Garden last night, so we have we have our same yeah. Uh, yeah. areas. So that also seems like a choice. Uh, energy. We have no nuclear plants. We have no. Uh, we don't really have that much clean energy or anything like that. And the best performing stocks in the market last year were oil stocks. It's almost like we're taking a step backwards. Yeah. Uh, so, so I guess, I guess the question then would be like, what are you, what are you doing as an investor? Like, are you, are you involved with like, uh, clean energy stocks or ESG portfolios or is that stuff not that important? It's funny that you mentioned ESG portfolios because I think that that's a, that's a trend that's happening right now. But when I look at and I break those portfolios down, a lot of those are really growth leaning, right? So it's almost like, you can invest in the individual names yeah. alone, right? And have exposure to those best performers. As I was reading this um, article, I was looking at the housing section and I, I just bought a house, right? In September. And in two months, two and a half months, my house is up like $72,000 Okay, in two months. Like, Hit if the that, bed. like <laughs> I don't yeah. even know if like, it's making it almost unreasonable. Like how are we supposed to achieve this American dream? 
I don't know where to lend my dollars and resources in terms of an investment strategy because everything's so crazy right now. Yeah. Anything you're gonna anything you're gonna buy is like pretty much at its at its peak price. You're buying for it at its peak price. A whole generation. Yeah. You just I don't think we we really have much of a choice there. Um, Are you bullish on EV or any of that stuff? No, I don't own any of those stocks. I missed the whole run in Tesla. I Got never. Man. It's not that I didn't think that we would have electric vehicles. I did. I just didn't think they would be the company to do it, and I was totally wrong because. Yeah. We're going to have, everyone's going to do electric vehicles, but they seem like they're going to stay the leader. Ford's at a multi-year high today, 52-week high. Is that because of the F-150? Yeah. yeah. I'm in GM, which that is going sweet. up because of electric vehicles. But I mean, Tesla, I feel like was one of the biggest opportunities in my career that I just oh, yeah. that, That's a one believe in thing. And I, I say that all the time, and then it goes back down to 800 and flies <laughs> back up to like 1500. I think that somebody just released that that's the next price target. Rivian, I think- I read an article about Rivian, who's supposed to be their competitor, right? New, hot, flashy. And I think they only produced 1,200 cars last year. So when you think about, like, the the gap, the catch-up gap, the fall-off is steep. Like, Tesla and then everybody else in terms of production, hype. Then you got Elon tweeting. So Rivian is going to do a truck that really is going to give the F-150 a run for its money if they can make enough of them. But it's super expensive, Is it called too. the, yeah. the Cybertruck? Just no, <laughs> it's, it's sick though. I don't think so. I personally don't think they're going to make a lot of them. I just don't. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to. It's it like takes a long time. It took Tesla a long time, and I don't think the physics of assembling cars at scale has changed much in the last few years. Even if even if the battery is has evolved, I still think you need people and facilities and a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So I'm not like I'm not in that. Lucid is. Lucid is really going to be the Tesla competitor with the so. with the cars. Yeah, and it looks sleek. The car looks sick. Yeah, it looks sleek. I would buy one before I would buy the stock. Yeah, I think. But again, you're talking to the guy that owned uh, no Tesla until it was added to the the S and P five hundred. So right. yeah, so so don't don't go by me with that. Uh, we're gonna do favorites, and then uh, and then we'll get out of here, and you guys will go get some steaks. Michael, you want to start us off? What do you got this week? Well, this is, I'm like 30 years late to this, but Lethal Weapon 2. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit. Oh my God, what a movie. Big big uh, Mel Gibson fan now, Danny Glover fan. <laughs> big Mel Gibson fan. All right. Uh, Desarte, no. what's Fiber Fueled? Fiber Fueled, that's a book that I just picked up. It's about eating to be fueled to pretty much chase greatness, as I like to say. You see my Onward to Greatness suite every morning, right? Yeah. So I'm trying to experiment with it. Like if I eat in a certain way, Will I be more productive? Will I be stronger, faster, better? So literally fiber or is there more to it? Metamucil. (laughs) Just take a bunch of that, right? Whip it around and take a big swig. That's the book. It's a one-page book. No, but um, it's about plant-based foods, some meats, right? And if you eat like that, you'll be way more productive. So I'm going to try it out and see see if I like it. The other thing was that, that article that we discussed. Yeah. Wait, let, let me let me come back to the fiber thing. Mm-hmm. What's your so so it's not just about so a lot of people a lot of people would just say like, all right, I get it, but I can't do it or I can't do it for long. That's how I feel. And I've always been one per like I play football. I could do right? it for one meal. I could eat really healthy. <laughs> one meal. meal? Yeah. I, I play c- football. So, you know, part of being an athlete is making sure that you maintain your body, right? And I would try these different types of way of eating. But when I got to my goal, I would just chill out, like look good, feel good, back to eating whatever I wanted to eat, right? Now yeah. I'm thinking about if I did this, it's kind of like compounding on your investments, right? Like if I do this for a long enough period of time, what happens? Right. I've never tested that. 
So Fiber Fuel is kind of the book that I'm reading right now to see if I hate telling I you this, but you have your first kid, your first baby being born in May. At a certain point, you're just going to eat whatever you have time for, <laughs> like whatever yeah. you could grab off the counter, because mm-hmm. things get things get hectic now. I'm sure. Emily so, tells me all the time. It's gonna it's gonna be a little bit harder, but I I feel like you have the discipline. You should be fine. Let's uh, break. Evelyn, did you bring any favorites today? Anything you know what, we should favorite? read, watch, listen to? Tipping point. Okay. Tipping point. I'm a big Malcolm Gladwell fan, and and I, I love all his stuff. And and every time I read one of his books, I always get something from it. And and this one was an older one, but sometimes I'll revisit them, and, and that's what I'm reading right now. I just I just absolutely love the book, and and you know the the subtitle how little things can make a big difference. And and when I look at my practice and what I'm doing in my business, and um, even what we're doing in Onyx, it's these little things that we're trying to work on right now that are going to make the biggest difference for uh, the impact we're trying to make. You don't even know which thing it's going to be. You like you could identify it after, like, oh, remember when we did that? That made a big difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You feel that way, like how we built the business. Like, of course, we do. You do like a million things, and then one of them turns out to have been really important. Yeah, what's the secret to success? Get to come out with that nonsense. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, a few lucky breaks. Seriously, that and and I think like it's you know the trial and error. Those little yeah. those little things. Like, and, and next thing you know, it's like, oh wow, we need to do more of that. Yes, that more of what thing. works, yeah. less yeah. of what doesn't. Exactly. exactly. All right, so Emlyn, you're a West Coast guy, but you're rocking a Yankee hat. Yes. I got to hear the story behind that. Yeah, we talked about this. Uh, the Sarte always gives me a hard time about it, but my name is Emlyn. Mattingly. Oh, that's it then. There you go. Like, uh, born in the, born in the eighties. Watched the Yankees in the nineties. Only person in sports to have my last name, and that's this. You is- two are the most famous Mattingleys, I think. Because I, <laughs> I can't think of another one. Okay. Only other fun fact: there was one other kicker that played for LSU in early, I want to say late nineties, early two. Not famous. No, not famous <laughs> at all. But he was a kicker. Hey, that's the only other person I've seen that had my last. Who's your, fa- who's your favorite Yankee of the last uh, 10, 15 years? Who's your guy? Jeter, come on. Jeter. Jeter or, or Jeter. Revere. Or because Rivera was just like, there's nothing like Mariano. So so we're, we're going down to Miami for uh, for the exchange conference. The last conference I went to in Miami was two weeks before the pandemic. Wow. It was inside ETFs, and they had Jeter there. Oh, man. And I got to meet him. I forget what ETF company like brought him in and sponsored him coming. Definitely not Vanguard. Probably not Vanguard. Right. Probably not maybe. Probably not Vanguard, but so they like got all the VIPs like notified, like, okay, if you want to meet you, VIP is like if you went there to speak, basically. Mm-hmm. So like 40 of us that like, they were like, okay, he's going to be in this suite. Don't tell anybody. Line up in the hallway. Wait till it's your turn. The number one thing is Derek Jeter doesn't take pictures with fucking ETF nerds. So do not pose. Don't hold your phone up. So everyone was cool. I was first in line, not because I'm like a crazed person, but I just like made it a point to mm-hmm. get there early. And then the people behind, as I was talking to him about God knows what, the people behind me were like visibly getting agitated, mm-hmm. which made me like, it's my personality, made me want to stay even longer. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally there was like a handler there that's like, okay, Derek was so glad to meet you and yeah. walked me out like a child. <laughs> but I was hyped for that. I was hyped for that. Uh, my favorite this week, did you, you guys listen to the Nas record yes, yet? Yes. I think this is better than this is better than King's Disease 2. It's so good. It's so good. He's rapping like he's 27. It's it's so good. Were you surprised that ASAP Rocky was trying to sound like a 90s rapper? You okay with that? Um, he had to pay homage. Yeah. I respect he sw- that. He switched up the flow to, to make himself fit in the song. I was yeah. kind of okay with it. Yeah. I listened to it in the gym. It, it, I listened to it all the way through, no skips. I took umbrage with it. 
Yeah, Michael 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 hasn't gotten there yet. He's still on Lethal Weapon three. Uh, <laughs> it take him another thirty years to get to Nas. There's a lot of there's a lot of business stuff in in some of those tracks. Yeah, uh, for sure. Meet Joe Black has a lot of like investing stuff in there. Man, and business stuff. Talks about the marathon being. Meet patient. Joe Black is with Brad Pitt. That's the name yeah. of this song, but it's yeah, it's also a movie. Also a movie from thirty years ago. You'll love it. You'll absolutely love it. Uh, all right, we're gonna let everybody get out of here, but before we do, I want everybody to know the websites they can go to to learn more about Onyx. So where would you where would you we have a lot of financial advisors who listen. Where would you send them to? Well, first of all, thank you guys so much for the platform and the our, opportunity to speak. Our pleasure. We love have we love awesome. having you come in and explain it to us. Awesome, awesome, awesome. You can find Onyx and everything about it. www.onyxadvisornetwork.com. Onyxadvisornetwork.com. Yep. Okay. And what do people do when they get there? Just fill out the form and... Fill out the form that'll ping us. We have a community manager that'll reach out um, to give you more information about what we'll be doing. Okay. Very excited. Do you have a target, like a goal, or how many advisors Man, do you think you'll sign we, this year? We, we set the bar really low. We're like, yeah, let's yeah. get 100 advisors. We already have 250 advisors ready to do this thing. So You're I wouldn't be surprised me. if we end the year at 500 advisors. Okay. Your partners will be very excited if, For it, sure. over, yeah. if it overperforms yeah. to that extent. Yeah. These other firms that you brought in to help you are going to be, they're going to be very excited. Yeah, yeah, we're looking forward to it. All right, that's great. We're going to see you at Exchange Conference. Absolutely. Yes? Absolutely. Okay. Emlyn, what's the name of your podcast? Um, Minority Mindset? Minority Money. Minority, Minority Money. money. Mm-hmm. Okay. And is yours now called Pay Me in Equity? Pay Me in Equity, baby. Okay, so it's not Young Money anymore, not but it is. Not Young Money. We grew up a little bit. Okay, so now, all right, got it. No, I mean, you got a, you got a kid now. Yeah. You got it, right? All right, so Pay Me in Equity is uh, DeSarte's podcast, and Minority Money is Emlyn's podcast, and you guys do a great job. And uh, I was on DeSarte's. I hope I get an invite to yours. Yeah, absolutely. All right? Absolutely. I, I'd love to be there. Uh, and Michael, what's your podcast? Um, our Thing. Our, no, it's not. <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, Adam New Animal Spirits drops uh, Monday and Wednesday this coming week. And don't forget, go to youtube.com slash the compound RWM if you want to watch clips of Michael, myself, Desarte, and Emlyn chopping it up today live at the compound. Thank you guys so much for listening. Really appreciate it. We will talk to you next week. Take us out. Well done. This is the part where I freestyle. No, keep okay. the headphones on. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, let's go. I